We turn to Esther chapter 4. Esther chapter 4 as we continue our series about time. Uh, Last Sunday we looked at uh, the appointed time, the birth of Isaac. Today we see that phrase, such a time as this, from Esther chapter 4. We begin reading then at verse 1 in Jesus' name. When Mordecai learned all that had been done, he tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and ashes, and went out into the midst of the city and wailed loudly and bitterly. He went as far as the king's gate, for no one was to enter the king's gate clothed in sackcloth. In each and every province where the command and decree of the king came, there was great mourning among the Jews, with fasting, weeping, and wailing, and many lay on sackcloth and ashes. Then Esther's maidens and her eunuchs came and told her, and the queen writhed in great anguish. And she sent garments to clothe Mordecai that he might remove his sackcloth from him, but he did not accept them. Then Esther summoned Hathlach from the king's eunuchs, whom the king had appointed to attend her, and ordered him to go to Mordecai to learn what this was and why it was. So Hathlach went to Mordecai to the city square in front of the king's gate. Mordecai told him all that had happened to him and the exact amount of money that Haman had promised to pay to the king's treasuries for the destruction of the Jews. He also gave him a copy of the text of the edict which had been issued in Susa for their destruction. He might show Esther and inform her and to order her to go into the king to implore his favor and to plead with him for her people. Hathak came back and Related Mordecai's words to Esther. Then Esther spoke to Hathak and ordered him to reply to Mordecai. All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that for any man or woman who comes to the king to the inner court who is not summoned, he has but one law that he be, that he be put to death unless the king holds out to him the golden scepter so that he may live. And I have not been summoned to the king, come to the king for these thirty days. They related Esther's words to Mordecai. Then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, Do not imagine that you and the king's palace can escape any more than all the Jews. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place, and you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not attained royalty for such a time as this. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, Go assemble all the Jews who are found in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my maidens also will fast in the same way. And thus I will go into the king, which is not according to the law. And if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went away and did just as Esther had commanded him. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for life and health and strength. Thank you for the privilege, Lord, to be here this morning, the privilege to open your word. And I pray, Father, that you would challenge, encourage, and strengthen us, that you would remind us that we are here today in this world for such a time as this. Use us, O God, for your glory, your honor, your praise, for we ask these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. The book of Esther, I think, is one of the most fascinating books in all of of Scripture. 
And one of the reasons that it is fascinating is because God's name isn't mentioned anywhere in the book of Esther. Read through it. You won't find the name of God mentioned in the book. I believe this is so because the events that take place in the book of Esther illustrate clearly how God works behind the scenes. He uses different people, he uses different circumstances to accomplish his purposes, and it is sometimes only afterward that we can trace the hand of God. Isn't that true in our lives too? Sometimes when we're going through something difficult, it's kind of hard to see, Lord, where are you in the midst of this? What are you doing in my life? But then we look back and we say, you know what? I can see God's hand there. Trace the hand of God. One author says the book of Esther may not directly mention God, yet it clearly reveals God at work. His name is not written in the book, but his fingerprints are all over it. (laughs) I like that. His fingerprints are all over it. The coincidences, the amazing reversals, the poetic justice that led to the deliverance of the Jews in Persia all proclaim the presence of God. This fourth chapter is probably uh, the chapter that we remember most in the book of Esther. And that verse that Micah read and I read as well really reminds us of Esther because she came to that place where she realized that God had put her in that position as queen of Persia, as a Jewish woman, for such a time as this. So what kind of a time was it, such a time as this? I would suggest three things to you this morning. First of all, it was a time of great need. A time of great need. The chapter begins with a very distressing note. Mordecai heard of the decree that had been written. He put on sackcloth and ashes. He went to the midst of the city. He was wailing loudly and bitterly. Came as far as the king's gate, because you couldn't get into the king's gate if you were wearing sackcloth. Kings didn't like anything but joy. So you don't come in sackcloth before the king. And we find that in verse 3, that in each and every province where the command and the decree of the king came, there was great mourning among the Jews, with fasting, weeping, and wailing, and many lay on sackcloth and ashes. So Mordecai, Mordecai was the cousin of Esther, and Esther's parents had died, and so Mordecai was really like a, like a guardian to her. They lived in Persia, people of Israel had been taken captive and then lived in that land. Esther then, in the course of time, became the queen. The king was not pleased with the previous queen, so she was demoted. And then here comes Esther. And in the course of time then, there was a man by the name of Haman. And he uh, was, uh, was promoted by uh, King Ahasuerus. And the people were told that they were to bow down to, to Haman. And Haman loved that. He was a man that had a large ego and had people bowing down before him was really a wonderful thing. But there was a man then by the name of Mordecai, a man of deep conviction, a Jewish man who loved the Lord and knew that you don't bow down to any man. You bow down to God alone. And he refused to bow down to Haman. 
And Haman became so angry that he got the king to issue a decree that not just Mordecai would be killed, but all of his people would be killed. And so that decree then was, was sent out among all the province of, of Persia. Here's how Haman did it in chapter 3, if you go back to verses 8 through 11. He comes to the king and he says, There is a certain people scattered and dispersed among the peoples in all the provinces of your kingdom. Their laws are different from those of all other people. They do not observe the king's laws. So it is not in the king's interest to let them remain. If it is pleasing to the king, let it be decreed that they may be destroyed. And I will pay 10,000 talents of silver into the hands of those who carry out the king's business to put it into the king's treasury. And you can just see Ahasuerus going, cha-ching, cha-ching, ooh, yeah, 10,000 talents of silver. So the king took his signet ring from his hand, gave it to Haman, the enemy of the Jews, and the king said to Haman, the silver is yours and the people also do to them as you please. So King Ahasuerus basically said to Haman, you want to wipe them out? Go ahead. Destroy all the Jews. Who cares? You do as you please. So you can see why Mordecai put on sackcloth and ashes. You can see why he wept loud and bitterly. A death sentence had just been decreed, not for him only, but for all his people. And I would assume that he probably felt like maybe he was part to blame. He was the one that was at the, at the, the king's residence there in sackcloth and ashes, weeping bitterly, mourning, and, and now this decree came. So I'm assuming he probably felt that, that maybe he was the reason for that. And so in chapter 3, verse 13, it says, Letters were sent by couriers to all the king's provinces to destroy, to kill, and to annihilate all the Jews, both young and old, women and children, in one day, the thirteenth day of the twelfth month, which is the month Adar, and to seize their possessions. This would have been a massive slaughter of human life. Because the Jewish people really had nowhere to go. Because if you look at the very first verse of the book of Esther, you will find that King Ahasuerus reigned from India to Ethiopia. 127 provinces. So if this decree went out to all 127 provinces, where would the Jews go? That was a huge, huge kingdom. A death sentence. Young and old. Women and children. All the Jews. to be carried out on one day. Would you say that such a time as this was a great need? Wow, what a, what a, what a, a, a time of great need. Do you think we live in a time of great need? Do you think there's any parallels to... To our day today with what we see in, in the book of Esther? Is there a death sentence in America that would compare to what we see here in Esther? I think you know where I'm going, don't you? Think of the parallel between our country and Esther in terms of the sanctity of life, the value of life. 
This decree in Esther protected no one. No Jew was protected. Young, old, men, women, children, it didn't matter. That decree allowed all of them to be slaughtered in one day. And that, would, that was millions of people. It's estimated that the population of the Persian kingdom at this time was about 50 million people. 20% of them were Jews. 20% of 50 million is what? 10 million people. And some believe that it was even more than that. One author thought more like 15 million people. What's the parallel to our day? Look at what has happened in our country since 1973. How many babies have been aborted since then? Children no longer guaranteed protection? It's as if the U.S. Supreme Court basically said what Ahasuerus told Haman in chapter 3, verse 11, do with them as you please. 60 million children in our country have been aborted since 1973. That's horrifying. This decree of death was promoted as a positive thing. As Haman made his argument before the king, he said it would be wise for the king to destroy the Jews. Chapter 3, verse 8, he says, It is not in the king's interest to let them remain. This is the same argument we hear today from those in favor of abortion. Our planet can't support any more people. Many children are unwanted, have to be raised through taxpayers' money. Some children will be born with severe health issues, a burden on society. Or how about this one? A woman has a right to do what she wants with her own body. All of these excuses, reasons, so the decree of death promoted as a positive thing. And this decree of death was financially profitable. Chapter 3, verse 9, Haman offered the king 10,000 talents of silver to pay for it. And in chapter 3, verse 13, the decree said that the possessions of the Jews could be plundered. <laughs> we'll get all their money, get all their possessions, all their things. This would be financially profitable for you, O king, and for the rest of the people in your province. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? For those who have abortions, it's often what they would say for financial reasons. And for those in the abortion industry, financially profitable, isn't it? And so we live in a time of great need like Esther did. The lives of many unborn children are at stake. It's not getting any better, is it? What have we seen just recently in the state of New York where a child born alive can be just left to die, infanticide, and actually having legislators, you know, rejoicing over that, giving high fives over the passage of that bill. And it's hard to imagine how hard our nation has become, how life is disposable just get rid of it 
Very similar to what we see in the book of Esther. This is a time of great need. And it's not just physical death. There, there's, a, there's a spiritual death decree, isn't there too, that we find in Scripture? The wages of sin is death, right? There are billions of people who are going to die spiritually without Jesus unless we tell them, right? The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life and Jesus Christ our Lord. That's one of the reasons why we are here to proclaim that news, right? That good news. That death decree of the wages of sin is an eternal decree unless people come to Jesus. So we, we live in a time of great need. Great need. Many parallels to the time of Esther. Such a time as this, a time of great need. Such a time as this is a time of, of great risk. It was clearly a time of great risk for Mordecai because he was publicly weeping and wailing at the entrance of the king's gate. And as I mentioned before, kings don't like that. Right? They want to be happy. They don't want anybody bothering them. They don't want to be weeping and wailing outside of their gate. And that's why Esther expressed some concern about this. Verse 4 says, Then Esther's maidens and her eunuchs came and told her. And the queen writhed in great anguish, so she sent garments to clothe Mordecai, that he might remove his sackcloth from him. But the text says he didn't accept them. Esther's thinking, okay, Mordecai, you're going to be in trouble if you come with sackcloth at the entrance of the king's gate. You better get those off. Get that sackcloth off. So she sent him some clothes and said, put these on. This is a risk to you, Mordecai, if you do this. So change your clothes. Get something other than sackcloth on. So Esther heard that Mordecai wouldn't remove his sackcloth. So she wanted to know why. Verse 5, then Esther summoned Hathak from the king's eunuchs, whom the king had appointed to attend her, and he and ordered him to go to Mordecai and find out what's going on. What, what, what are you doing this for? So he came to the city square in front of the king's gate, and then Mordecai told him all that had happened. He told him the exact amount of money. He told him that Haman had promised to pay the king's treasuries for the destruction of the Jews. He also gave him a copy of the text of the edict that had been issued in Susa for their destruction, that he might give it to Esther, that she might know what's going on. It's kind of interesting. She was the queen. She didn't know what was going on. <laughs> she wasn't aware of this decree. And so Mordecai says, Esther, you need to know what's going on. You need to know why I'm wearing sackcloth in mourning. And so she found out. And Mordecai said, you need to go to the king, implore his favor, plead for your people. Because there is a decree that they are going to be destroyed. So Mordecai had good reason to put on sackcloth, but it was a risk, right, for him. How about Hathak? He was the, he was the messenger between Mordecai and, and Esther. So he was kind of put in a situation where if he's relaying information from the queen to Mordecai and they're planning something against this decree, I mean, he could have been caught in the crossfire too, right? So there was a risk for him. And yet, even though he was a servant, he had a very important place to play in this situation. 
love what uh, Warren Wiersbe says. He says, I doubt that Hathak realized what an important part he was playing in God's plan to defeat Haman and save the Jews. He goes on to say, so often in the work of the Lord, he uses obscure people to accomplish important tasks. And he gives some example. What was the name of the lad who gave Jesus his loaves and fishes? Anybody know? You shouldn't because we don't. <laughs> we don't know his name. That was a trick question, of course. Who are the men that rescued Paul? Put him over the wall in Damascus so he could be set free. Anybody know their names? You don't know their names either. What was the name of the little servant girl that told Naaman to go and see the prophet Elisha? We don't know her name either, do we? But God used these people to accomplish his purposes. And God used this man by the name of Hathoth. We know his name, but he was just a servant. Think of how God used him. And yet it was a risk for him as well. How about Esther? Was it a risk for her? Verse 10, then Esther spoke to Hathoth and ordered him to reply to Mordecai. Here's what she said. All the king's servants... And the people of the king's provinces know that for any man or woman who comes to the king, to the inner court, who hasn't been summoned, the king is going to put him to death unless he holds out the golden scepter. And she says, I have not been summoned for the king to the king for a whole month. Thirty days. Haven't seen the king. So she's thinking, okay, if I go implore the king to have mercy on my people, he may not want me. That could mean death for me. So for Mordecai, for Hathok, the servant, for Esther, was it a time of great risk? <laughs> yes, it was. It certainly was. So let's ask the question, is today a time of great risk? If you're a Bible-believing Christian, is there any risk if you're willing to stand for your convictions? I think there is. And I think it will become increasingly so that we are going to be at risk if we are standing on the truth of God's Word. I know believers who have lost friends over their convictions. No longer want to... Uh, have anything to do with you when you stand up for biblical truth. I know people who have lost jobs because of their convictions. And let's not kid ourselves, there are people all around the world that are losing their lives because of their convictions. Is it a time of great risk? Yes, I would say it is. But what's the alternative? Are we going to cave in to the, the world's way of thinking? Are we just going to kind of go along with the, the values of the world and say, well, whatever, you know, I know Jesus and I'm fine, you know, I'm not, not going to make any waves. Are we going to live just to, to please men? Mordecai wasn't concerned about the risks involved. His people were going to die if he didn't get involved. And in some ways, the same is true, true for us too, isn't it? A time of great need 
in a time of, of great risk. But notice thirdly, it was also a time of great surrender. Mordecai had some pretty strong words for Esther when she expressed her concern about coming before the king. You know what, Mordecai, if I go, and I've been summoned, and you know what the law of the Persians is, if the king has not summoned you and you go on your own, it could be death. Well, listen to what Mordecai said to his cousin Esther. Verse 13, Then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, Do not imagine that you in the king's palace can escape any more than all the Jews. Is it to say, just because you're the queen, doesn't mean you're going to escape. You're a Jew too. This decree is against all the Jews, men and women, young and old. doesn't matter. But he says, for if you remain silent at this time, Relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place. I wonder who would have his hand in that, huh? And you and your father's household will perish. And then this question, and who knows, Esther, who knows whether you have not attained royalty for such a time as this. It's obvious that Esther was concerned about the possibility of dying if the king didn't respond to her request positively. But Mordecai made it clear that if she did nothing, death was not just a possibility. (laughs) If she did nothing, it was a certainty. A certainty. But notice how Mordecai encourages her. He asks her to ponder that question. Who knows whether you have not attained royalty for such a time as this? Mordecai isn't able to make this question a statement because was he really sure of this? Could he say with certainty that this was the case? He knew that only God knew for sure. So he wasn't going to make a claim that he wasn't absolutely sure about, as if if he knew the will of God. But it certainly has seemed that way. As if God was working behind the scenes to put Esther in that position as a Jewish woman, being the queen of Persia. Mordecai is saying, you know what? It It sure appears to me that God has put you in this place for such a time as this. You wonder if he had Joseph in his mind, in the back of his mind as he said this. Joseph, a Jewish young man, put in leadership among the Egyptians, saved the nation, right? God sent him before the people of Israel to spare the nation during the time of famine. You wonder if Mordecai's thinking about Joseph and thinking, you know what, Esther? Maybe you're here too to save the nation. Maybe you're here too to plead on behalf of of your people. And it appears that this was exactly what Esther needed to hear. Because she was willing to do what Mordecai told her to do. To go and, and, and stand before the king. But notice what she did first. Verse 15. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai. Go assemble all the Jews who are found in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day, 
I and my maidens also will fast in the same way, and thus I will go in to the king. In other words, I am willing to intercede on behalf of my people, but first, we need to pray. We need to get down on our knees and call out upon the Lord to to intervene in this situation. And that's what they did. And then she added this statement of surrender. She said, and thus I will go into the king, which is not according to the law. And if I perish, I perish. If I die, I die. I'm willing to do what God has called me to do. I can't guarantee what the results will be. If I die, I die. Reminds me of the Apostle Paul from the scripture this morning that was read. He said in Acts 20, And now behold, bound by the Spirit, I'm on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. Except the Holy Spirit solemnly testifies to me in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions await me. But I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself, so that I may finish my course and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. He said, one, my one purpose is to finish the race. I don't know what that will mean. I know there's going to be trouble, but he said, I, my life is not dear to me. I just, I just want to do what, what God has called me to do. You know, some people look at their life as being worth everything. And so they're going to avoid taking any risk for the kingdom, right? I better not say something because what will happen to me? I better not do this because I don't know what the result will be. That was not Esther. That was not Mordecai. That was not Hathok, was it? If I perish, then I perish. We're going to surrender to the Lord like Mordecai did, like Esther did. What will it mean for us? Could it be hardship? Yes. Could it be persecution? Yes. Could it be death? Yes. Could it be imprisonment? <laughs> yeah. I talked to a man in Arizona when I was there. He said, my pastor told me that I fully expect within the next ten years to be put in jail. Who knows? But I'll tell you what, we are living in a culture which does not like biblical convictions. There could come a day when it will cost us greatly to stand for the Lord. If I perish, I perish. That was Esther's statement. And I pray that God will give us that kind of a surrender to the Lord. But we're not looking at the cost. If God calls me to do it, we need to do it. God called me to speak forth. We need to speak it forth. What's the worst that can happen? If I perish, I perish. What does that mean? I'm with Jesus. <laughs> right? I'm with Jesus.
You are here for such a time as this. Don't waste the time that God has given you. Invest it, right, in serving Him. And when you come to the end of the road, if you invest your time in serving the Lord, I can guarantee you will say, it was worth it all. It was worth it all to serve Jesus. C.T. Studd said in his well-known poem, Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for men and women like Mordecai and Esther who recognized that they were put on this earth for such a time as this. Lord, we are here for such a time as this. You have created us and caused us to live during this time in history. Lord, help us to recognize that. Help us not to run from what you've called us to do. Help us to be faithful, Lord. If we perish, we perish. Lord, help us to rest in your care, knowing that you have a plan and a purpose for our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.